Let me just take a moment and um, share some stuff. You know, the last 15 months, our leadership team has been actually working together to restructure, reshape a lot of ministry here at the house, the way we do things, and really what even our greatest objectives are. And we recognize that the possibility, you know what, we didn't, we didn't know these days were coming, but we began to recognize that the possibility and the trends in the earth may be that a day would come when having big, large meetings wouldn't even be possible. You know, we've, we've been blessed with a great facility and people gather here every week. But what would happen if that didn't happen? We had no idea we'd reach these days. But in the process of it, even if we could still do the big meetings, how do we get people di- discipled and in a place where they walked with Jesus like maybe never before? And that was something that was very, very, very dear to our hearts. So we began to prepare for these days in some ways leading up to this crisis. But one of the things I want to say to you is that somebody said, I can't wait till we get back to normal. Here's what I want to say. I hope we never return to normal. Amen. At least not to the way things were. Yes. Because there were some people that their life was way too chaotic, way too busy, way too full of consumerism and greed and all the things that actually war against your spirit. So I believe life will return to a different format than we're living right now. But I think in the process, here's our prayer. I pray that people at the gate church will be more in love with Jesus. I pray their families will be stronger than they've ever been. Marriages will be stronger than they've ever been. I pray that parents will learn to teach children the ways of the Lord at home and realize that it's not a children's pastor's job to do that but really family devotions return. I pray that we'll have more God consciousness in our, in our lives, even in our culture. The presence of God will fill our life. And you know what I'm praying? I'm praying that God will cause Christians to rise up boldly Amen. in this moment, Amen. to live their faith out loud, not, not obnoxiously, but just to live their faith out loud, loving God, loving their neighbor. I said this on Wednesday night, and I want to say it to you today. The church has left the building. It's not dead. It's not closed, and it's not counseled. It's left the building. We've not changed our mission. We've not changed our vision. We've just changed our methods. One of the things we're doing is on Wednesday night, we're doing what we call the gate unhindered. In other words, nothing is stopping us. Right. And that's Wednesday night groups. I want every person, every person watching me right now. I want you to be a part of them because I'm intentionalizing coming Wednesday night right back to you to talk to you, to encourage your faith. Talk to us about how people can sign up. It's going to be fantastic, Dad. Some of the amazing things that are taking place in the world is our opportunities. This is the greatest time for opportunity to connect with other people. And some of the things that we're doing at the Gate Church is we have a specific group that's going to be meeting every Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night, you'll get together with a virtual group of 10 other families, 7 other families, 10 other people on a virtual call and a virtual video messaging opportunity to be able to connect with each other. That will be for prayer. It'll be for community. But even even in those times, it will be for a time for a bishop to join you every single week in your home to be able to speak directly to a point of discipleship, an area that we don't get to touch on in our church services on a Sunday, but things that we get to do. Now, listen, I know this man, and there's so much depth in Bishop Miller, and he's my father, and I'm so grateful that he's taken the time to do this on Wednesdays. But what's so unique about Wednesdays? It's not a Sunday experience. 
Right. It's not about being a Sunday experience. It's about us connecting heart to heart. So he'll be sharing personal stories. He'll be giving you insights into places that you've never even seen out of him. And I want to encourage you right now to go to the Gate Church website. Uh, you can look at the, at the place that you can sign up. There'll be 10 spots for every location. You can look by what you're interested in or by the location you live. But get signed up today so that you can become part of this virtual group. Now, if you're part of the Gate Church, we have have every expectation that right now you're making a commitment to be a part of this virtual group because we believe all over Oklahoma City we're going to have people that are lifting up the name of Jesus on Wednesday nights and we're really excited about what God's doing. So as soon as you get off of here, make sure you go there and sign your name up. You're not going to want to miss out on this opportunity. Yeah, and they go to the Gate Church. The Gate Church, yes, slash We Care. Gatechurch.tv. TV, yeah. Forward slash, forward slash We Care. Yeah, forward slash. And the the reason we put them in virtual groups like this is because we don't want you just to listen to me talk. We want you to dialogue. So you'll be in a group where you can talk to everybody else that's in the group. You can pray for each other. Amen. We can actually do what the Bible tells us to do. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens. We can love on each other. We may not be able to be in the same room, but we'll be able to love on each other. So make sure you sign up for one of those virtual groups. We have made room for several hundreds of people to be a part. We want you to do that today because we're getting ready to come to you Wednesday night. I'm actually going to begin Wednesday night to talk about the reset. What's happening in the reset? It's like we're being rebooted. I can't wait to talk to you on Wednesday night. Let me, talk, let me share with you today what God put on my heart for this morning. Philippians chapter 4, the passage is going to come up on the screen. If you've got your Bible or your phone, you can turn there. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4 through 9. In the New International Version, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. I mean, even know if that's all I said today right now, that would be good. Because in a world when everybody's very anxious and uptight, you get tired of waiting on toilet paper. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got to let your gentleness be known to everybody. For the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Here's the statement. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, Whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. For whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul's writing this letter. Let me give you a context for this whole thing. Paul's writing this letter from a prison cell. In Rome. It's his second imprisonment. He actually is never going to leave the prison. He's going to go from there to his, his execution, to his martyrdom. But here's what he's doing. He's writing letters to churches. And the church at Philippi was actually the first church in Europe. It's the first place he went that took the gospel into Europe. You remember when he 
got what was called the Macedonian call. He was wanting to go into what was today Spain. And the Lord told him, no, I want you to go into Macedonia, which was the top of at the northern part of Greece. I want you to take the gospel there. And he went to a place called Philippi. And there was a lady named Lydia who had a business. And she became the first convert in all of Europe. She's a part of this church that Paul's writing to. He said to her, I want you to learn how to rejoice. He's writing to this first church in Europe. It's an established church. It wasn't new believers. These were established believers. And he was wanting to say to them, I want to teach you how to live in difficult times. He was saying to them, not only this, watch this. The first part of this chapter, he's talking to two ladies in the church that were in a debate. They were in an argument. Probably one of them was a Democrat and one was a Republican. I don't know what they were. One was a liberal and conservative. But anyway, they were in a debate. They, they were going to the same church, but they couldn't talk to each other. And he said to them, look, let your debate stop. Let your unity come to Christ. Because in difficult days, it doesn't matter who's right. It matters who you look to. I'm going to say that again. In difficult days, it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. It matters who you look to. And he was trying to say to these ladies, look, I want to refocus your attention back to the right thing so that you can enjoy the unity that God's entrusted to us. The other thing is this, watch this. The church in Philippi had sent a man named Ephroditus to bring Paul an offering because in those days, the prisons didn't provide meals. They didn't provide anything. So if people didn't support you from the outside, you didn't eat, you didn't get anything. And so Paul was wanting paper so he could write. He was wanting instruments to write with. And so Ephroditus left Philippi and came to Rome to bring him an offering. And on the way, he became contagious and got sick with some disease and had to stop for several weeks because he ran through an infested area and got sick. Boy, it sounds a lot like 2020. And Paul said, let me write to you in the middle of this and tell you, how do you survive? What do you do? How do you be on guard in the midst of all this? And he was writing to them, watch this. He was writing to them as an apostolic leader, yes. He was writing to them as a father in the faith, yes. But more than that, he was writing to them as an example. He was saying, follow my example. Can I say something to everybody that's watching me today that's a leader? Can we be examples again? Can we, can we be a, a billboard for Jesus that says, look, if you don't know what to do, do what I do. That's what Paul said. Paul said, if you can't figure out what to do, do what I do. Because I'm going to live my life as an example. And I want to say to everybody that's listening today, your children are watching you. Mom and dad, when you, when you, when you lose all consciousness of reality and let anxiety and fear overtake you, your kids don't know how to process this. They're watching you. Do you realize an unbelieving world is watching the church right now? We have a great opportunity to stand in the midst of it all and say, we really are the people of God. We're uncommon. We're, We're peculiar because we're not falling apart. We gathered this morning. We prayed. We, we, we prayed over you. We, we asked God to minister to your life. The reason these people came today is because they wanted to worship with you and they wanted to release a word to you. So let me quickly walk through this passage. He said, there's a guard. He said, and the peace of God will guard. Everybody shout guard. 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 
Here's what that word means. It means to be a sentinel, to be a guard post. Let me put it in 2020 words. It's your security system. It's the guard at the gate that comes into your neighborhood. It's the security system that guards your front door. It's your, it's your doorbell that's got a camera on it. So you don't let certain people come in or, or out. He said, it's going to guard. The picture is this. There's an enemy that's constantly warring against your heart and against your mind, but you have a guard. You have a sentinel, a fortress that can keep all of it protected. Paul is actually, he's actually writing exactly what the prophet Isaiah said, because Isaiah talked about the new covenant in Isaiah 26 in verse number three, he makes this statement. He said, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Here's what Isaiah is saying. He's saying the day's coming that you're going to live with a covenant. Watch this. Please don't miss this. You're living with a covenant that he's going to take the initiative. It's going to originate in him. He said, you will keep those in perfect peace. Let me, look, what, what, watch this. You, meaning God. It's not predicated on me. It's predicated on him. He is the initiator. He's the originator of this covenant promise. Can I tell you today, if, you, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ today, you don't have to worry about whether God's going to be there. He's already taken the initiative. He said, I will keep you in perfect peace. I will keep you in perfect peace. Keep in perfect peace. Keep, 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 keep. We, we don't use this very much in, in English today. It's old English. It's really old English. But I visited Europe and I visited Italy and Greece way too, too often and walked in castles and buildings that were thousands of years old. And what we don't remember is that in every castle, there is what was called the keep room or the keep tower. In every castle, there would be, there would be dining halls, there would be kitchens, there would be places for servants to live. There would even sometimes be places inside the castle for livestock. But the most secure place would be the keep tower. And the keep tower would have walls that would be 10 or 12 foot thick and most of the time they'd be 30, 40, 50 foot high or even more. And when the castle would come under attack, even though it would have walls and a moat, the family would run to the keep tower because they recognized there was only one stairway that would come into the keep tower. And whoever tried to come against the family would have to come through that, that, that way. And, and, the, and the armament rooms where all the weapons were stored was in the keep tower. So that whatever enemy tried to come against that family would have to come through that armament of weapons and those soldiers that were trained. And they would be secure in the keep tower. You know, we, we used to say things like this. When a, when a woman looked well and, and looked like she was taken care of, we'd say, your husband has kept you well. He's kept, you, you're a kept woman. What it means is you've been, you've been preserved, you've been taken care of, you've been guarded, you've been, you've been looked after. 
Well, guess what? Here's what God says to you and I. He said, you think that the keep tower was powerful in medieval castles? You think that, that keeping your, your family or your wife or your children is something you ought to watch how I keep people? He said, because here's what happens. My peace is a garrison. It's a fortress around you so that anybody that tries to come against you has got to come through my keep tower in order to get to you. And guess what's in my armament? In my armament is the blood of Jesus. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. It's the word of promise. In my armament is a host of angels who war on your behalf. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what he says when he says, I will keep you. I will keep you. And then he says, I'll keep you in perfect peace. Perfect peace. Perfect peace is not in the original. Perfect is not in the original Hebrew at all. Actually, in the original Hebrew, it says this. You will keep in shalom, shalom. Wow. Shalom, shalom. In other words, it's in a continuous sense. Watch this. Shalom is the most rich word in all of the Hebrew dictionary. It's the richest word that God could use to express what he does. And he says, here's what will happen. I'm going to keep you in a constant wave of my wholeness, my complete satisfaction. It's going to just come over you like wave after wave after wave. Do you know in that kept place, we have multiple terms in the Bible that describe it. The psalmist describes the same word that says, I will keep you, is also described as he is our refuge. He's my refuge. Where do I go when I'm scared? I run to my refuge. It's also the same word that's used to describe, he's my shield. You say, well, shield is only in front of you. No, 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 not, not in Hebrew days. In Hebrews days, the warriors would stand in front of each other. I would hold my shield this way. Somebody would stand behind me with a shield face that way. Somebody would stand beside me with shields face that way so that we would make a perfect circle of shields. So when God says, I am your shield and I am your buckler, buckler was a short sword. He said, I'm going to surround you and I got a weapon in my hand for anybody that tries to come against you. Let me tell you one more thing it means. It also means it went to the depth of their social issues. See, that's what we're facing today. We're saying, I can't even be with other people. But in the days of the Bible, this term being kept was also indicated into their social life. Watch this. In the Bible days, there were no hotels. There were no restaurants. There were no drive through McDonald's. Didn't pull your chariot through a McDonald's and order up hamburgers. Or... So there's no place to get food. So if you were a journeyer through life, when the sun began to set, here was the custom of the day. You would go up to somebody's home. I would go to Ashley's home. And if I put my hand on the doorknob of the house and the man of the house didn't run me away, then I knew that that was a hospitable house and I was welcome. So when I put my hand on the door, if he opened the door to me and I came into his house, watch this, if I came into his house, it was called, this is how they refer to it, you were coming under the shadow of my roof. You can't miss this. 
you were coming under the shadow of my roof. Which means now as the one who's welcomed you into my house, I'm now responsible. If you're hungry, I'll feed you. If you're tired, I'll let you rest. If somebody's chasing you, I'll even go out and fight with you. Because you're under the shadow of my roof. And here's what, here's what the psalmist said. He said, when I abide under the shadow of the Almighty. See, ladies and gentlemen, what happened is, is that God invited us into his house through Jesus. He's made a place for you and I. In my father's house are many rooms. He's invited us under his roof. And he said, when you come under my roof, if you're hungry, I'll feed you. If you're tired, I'll let you rest. If you're in the middle of a battle, I'll fight for you because you're abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. And Though pestilence may come, though war may come, it'll not come nigh unto my dwelling place. A thousand may fall at one side, ten thousand at the other, but it won't touch me because I've come under the shadow of his roof. So my, my encouragement to you today is this. Where are you running? You can't come under the shadow of your house you got to come under the shadow of his house. Come under the shadow of his almighty wings. Somebody spoke to me this week and said, I said to them how I felt about the situation. They said, are you living in a bubble? Come on, get real, Bishop. Do, do you not realize what's going on? And I responded to them with kindness, and I got in my truck and I went, you know what? I am living in a bubble. I'm not living in ignorance and I'm not denying realities, but I am living in a bubble. I am surrounded by the peace of God. In fact, Zechariah said it this way, he's a wall of fire about me and he's the glory in the midst of me and whoever touches me touches the apple of his eye. You are living in a bubble when you live in the peace of God because you're being kept. And what you're being kept in is the shalom, shalom of God. Watch this. Watch this. Just give me a couple more minutes. Watch this. The word shalom literally means this. In the Western mind, to our mindset, the word shalom or peace means the absence of conflict. If we're at peace, it means we're not fighting. We're not fussing. We're not in unrest. Everything's going my way. Everything's at peace. But the Bible wasn't written in a Western mind. It was written in an Eastern mindset. And in the Eastern mindset, it was not about the absence of conflict or difficulty or everything lining up right. It was not external. For us, peace is external. But for the Bible, peace is internal. See, it doesn't matter how calm your outer world is if your inner world is in turmoil. See, my wife and I were praying last night. There are people today that the coronavirus has nothing to do with their peace being disturbed. They got a report from a doctor that cancer's in their body. Or they've got a situation at home with a child that's on, on drugs and addicted. And it's not the virus that's causing the turmoil. It's all the problems of life. And so in the midst of the problems of life, how do I keep that peace in here? Because the shalom of God is not about my externals. It's about my internals. 
Because here's what shalom means. Shalom literally means, and it, watch this, it touches body, soul, and spirit. It means that when my spirit receives peace, then I can teach my mind how to be at peace. Then my body will get, quit being full of shakes and anxiety. See, I know what it is. I know what it is to lay in my bed and shake all night long under anxiety attacks. That happened to me in 2000. Pastor Jay was with me. I was, in, I was in Richmond, Virginia preaching and I walked off the stage and told him, get me an airplane home because I can't get my breath. And he looked at me and said, Bishop, you're not even breathing hard. But see, my whole system was out of sorts because I'd let my inner world become chaotic. And so my body was even responding. And I thought, I'm not gonna get through this. And I went home and I remember I started singing an old song, an old gospel song we used to sing when I was when I was just a child, we'd sing peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. See, I'm telling you, he's the source of my peace. D.C., Wall Street, the capital here in Oklahoma is not the source of my peace. And the songwriter said, sweep over my soul. that flowing towards you today I believe he's sweeping over your house we are different we're not better we're different we're uncommon because we're people that know how to live in peace here's what peace means it means to be complete it means to be fulfilled you say bishop how can I be fulfilled I can't even go to work because my fulfillment is not in what I do, it's in who I am. Do you know the word fulfillment literally means this, that you're not a restless soul. You're not a restless soul. Not only does it mean complete and fulfilled, it means I'm content. Do you know what contentment is? It's the opposite of being bored. Boredom is a sign that you're not content. Contentment means I can live in this world without feeling like I have to be constantly occupied with activity. Because I'm really not bored with my life. It's soundness, wholeness. I'm not in broken pieces. And here's what the writer said. He said, you will keep me in shalom, shalom. I got peace. Watch this. I got peace with God. I'm at peace with myself. And I'm at peace with everybody around me. When that happens, ladies and gentlemen, my guard is on duty. So you say, well, the way I protected myself is I'm staying home, I'm washing my hands, and I'm not touching anybody. You know what? You need to be at home. You need to wash your hands. But can I tell you something? There's no place called risk-free living. Something else could happen that wouldn't have anything to do with the virus. But the way you keep guard is by staying in peace. That's what makes me uncommon. I got peace. When everybody's going, what in the world are we going to do? What's going to happen? What's next? I don't know, but I know who holds it. There's peace coming down from the Father above. Let me close with this. Here's three ways he said you, don't, you keep your peace. You keep your guard. Number one, 
He said, don't lose your joy. Don't lose your joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That means brighten up, smile. Let an expression of confidence be on your face. Rejoice. He didn't say rejoice always. He said rejoice in the Lord always. Because the Lord is the one who's stable. Circumstances aren't. Number two, not only don't lose your joy. Second of all, he said don't worry. I don't know if God was a Jamaican or Paul was a Jamaican or not. But he said don't worry. Be happy. Watch this. He said be anxious for nothing. Do you know the word anxiousness there literally means to be pulled apart to be pulled apart because you're paying attention to too many things. To literally be pulled apart because you're paying attention to too many things. Quit paying attention to the things that aren't essential. Pay attention to what really matters. You know what? When Paul said, I'm going to rejoice and not be anxious, you know what he was saying? He was in jail. He wasn't just in a requested lockdown. He was locked down. But here's what Paul said. They may have locked me in, but they can't lock Jesus out. So no matter what circumstance I'm in, he can be there in the middle of it with me. So I'm not going to worry. You know what? People, there's a myth that makes people miserable. And they buy into all kinds of myths. Myths that say things like this. Well, God's unreliable. This should have never happened. That's not true. God's more faithful than anybody you know. People say things like this. Well, I think this should be changed overnight. If God was in this, this would go away tomorrow. No, sometimes things don't change overnight. Sometimes God uses things. He doesn't deliver you from them. He delivers you through them. It's a myth to believe that if I worry, I can control what's uncontrollable. Because you don't change anything by your worry. And number three, here's the third thing he said, is keep your guard on duty. You say, how do I do that, Bishop? He tells us how. He said, here's how you do it. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, what's admirable, if there's any excellency or anything that's praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, the way you keep your guard on duty is to align your thinking with what's pure and right and holy and admirable. Cut your television off sometimes. Quit having 24-hour news cycles. Put some praise music on in your house. Turn the scriptures on. Let somebody read the Bible to you. Fill your house with an atmosphere of what's true. You know, there's, there's things we hear on television that one hour we think is true and the next hour it's not true. So I'm not going to spend my life worrying about that stuff. Here's how I'm going to keep my guard on duty. I'm going to keep my mind stayed on him. You know that word mind there? It's interesting. I don't have time for this. But he's not talking about your cognitive reasoning processes. It's the word for creative imagination. Because you know what drives you nuts? Is you keep imagining things. Man, what if this goes a month? 
Oh my goodness. What if the grocery store doesn't have everything I need? What if I don't get gas in my car? He said, if you don't harness your creative imagination, he said, you won't keep your, you won't keep your guard on duty. I'm getting ready to pray. Paul finished it with this. He said, because I've learned to do that, even while I'm in prison, I've learned how to abound. I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to live with contentment. And here's how I do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want to pray for you today. If you're not a Christ follower, peace begins with having peace with God. Because when you have peace with God, you can have the peace of God. But it starts with having peace with God. If you're a Christ follower today, peace is the guard at your house. It's just like your security system. It protects your stuff. It protects you here internally. Father, I pray today for people all over that's watching this morning. I pray for supernatural peace. Lord, I pray for those that don't know you that may be far away from God today. I'm asking you that in the midst of this time of crisis, you would draw them to yourself. I thank you that your peace, salvation is an invitation into shalom, shalom. Lord, I pray that you'll draw them to completeness, to wholeness, to fulfillment through Christ. If you don't know Jesus, would you right now on the chat line just say to somebody, I'm coming to Jesus today and pray this simple prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. I turn to you today and I'm asking you to receive me into your house, into your family. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now I declare over you that this week you're going to live guarded because the peace of God that passes all comprehension is going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name. You know, every week I stand on this platform and I make this statement. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he lift his countenance towards you and give you his favor in all that you do. I can't wait to see you Wednesday night on the gate unhindered. Have a wonderful day. The Lord is going to keep you. Bye-bye.